You're listening to a podcast hosted on the Podcaster Matrix. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. In the world of comic book storytelling, some tales are so massively important they require being told outside of their normal ongoing titles. Whether revolving around a single character, a team of heroes, or encompassing the fate of the universe, these stories are as important as the rest of the books that come out monthly. The following is no exception. Bridging the gap between comics and audio entertainment media, my big fat pollist is proud to present a podcast mini series. You've heard of the Avengers, the Justice League, the X Men, Teen Titans, Guardians of the Galaxy, Defenders, the Legion of Superheroes, even the Watchmen. But what if we told you that there was another team of colorfully clad heroes that you've never heard of who are equally as influential to comic books and the industry as a whole? Who is this mystery team, you ask? Archie Comics' very own stable of masked heroes, the Mighty Crusaders. During this five-episode podcast miniseries, we will break down the complete history of these unsung heroes from their beginnings in the late 1930s with MLJ Comics, through their formative years at Archie and Red Circle, to their current incarnations at Dark Circle Comics, and dive into the impact they have had on the world of comics. Welcome to part one of our series, where we will discuss the beginnings of these characters take an in-depth look at their first 10 years in comics, and celebrate the 80th anniversary of some of the greatest heroes you've likely never heard of, as we go all the way with MLJ. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the first episode of My Big Fat Pull List's first miniseries event. Yes. Five-episode series diving into the history of of the Mighty Crusaders. I am Dr. Impact, and I will be your host. I will be joined by different hosts in each episode, but for this episode, I am joined by two guests. Across the table from me is... The Mysterious Mr. X. And sitting directly to my right is... The Lovable Smurfy. Welcome, guys. Thank you for letting me take over the show for a few episodes. I know you guys initially brought me on the show to talk mostly about DC right. and bring the DC Comics perspective to everything. I have been obsessed with these Mighty Crusaders characters for 30-plus years, and I was dying to do a series of episodes on them. So this is really exciting for me to finally be able to do this. Well, this is also part of the whole contract we have when we hired you on to the show. If we give you a platform to talk about these characters that not a lot of people have heard of, you're going to give us all the great DC That's right. juice that we do not have. So That's right. I, f I find it a good trade. He's holding a gun to my head. That's why I'm here. <laughs> no, he's not Smurf. Don't it's, yes, he is. It's it's horrible. It's a rhetorical gun. Whatever. It's a rhetorical oh, yeah. gun. 
A rhetorical no. gun? That's no, not the right word at all. It's not the right word at all. Moving Smurfy on, though. Smurfy is a wordsmith, so, <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get into too much, I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there that are wondering, you know, who are the Mighty Crusaders? What is MLJ? What is this thing? And why are we going all the way with them? All the way with MLJ. All the way with MLJ. That that a little dirty, actually. <laughs> well, we'll get into more details in a little bit. But basically, MLJ Comics was what Archie Comics was known as hmm. before they changed their name to Archie Comics. Okay. Much like you, you've heard the phrase, make mine Marvel. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Everyone knows that right. phrase. Well, much like that, MLJ had their own phrase back in the 40s, and it was all the way with MLJ. Oh, okay. Now, back then, you know, the, the, the vernacular in the 40s, all the way with MLJ, meant something very different. Nowadays, we hear that, and yeah, it does. It sounds... Uh, I'm thinking about taking my wife in the backseat of a car. Yeah, right. The 40s were a wholesome time for us all. Well, at least superficially, I guess. Right. <laughs> Until yeah. that damn McCarthyism came around. That's right. Uh, <laughs> which actually did affect comics, but we're not going to get into all that. That's a different podcast. That's a wholly different episode. Anybody that's wondering, the Mighty Crusaders were a, a bunch of superheroes that debuted in the late 30s and 40s. They were very, very popular at the time. When superhero comics kind of made a comeback after the Comics Code incident of the early 50s, mm, uh, yes. they never quite caught on the way that the stable of Marvel and DC characters did. Mm. These characters have been relaunched every 10 years or so. Mm. And uh, they only last for maybe two or three years in publishing, and then the, the line gets canceled for whatever away. reason. They fade away. They disappear. And then they're gone for another 10 years until they get relaunched again. It's, I mean, honestly, because they sound made up at first. Yeah. Like, when you first brought it up to me, I thought it was something that you yourself created. Oh, the, I the thought this was a, your brainchild, like, hey, uh, I'm going to talk about something I created. I'm like, oh, okay, that'll be kind of cool. Then I was like, oh, these were a real yeah. thing. Yeah. No idea. Well, and part of it is because these these relaunches that happen every few years don't really last past maybe issue 15 or 20. I mean, I, I think the the run in the 40s is the run that lasted the longest, and then okay. I, there was a run in the, the 60s and the 90s that both lasted pretty long, but we'll get to those in future episodes of this miniseries. So basically, these are very classic characters who have been around as long as Marvel and DC, but just have not gotten their, their due. I guess I should also mention, before we get into this, how I discovered these characters. Because like you said, Smurfy, nobody knows who these guys are. Or a very select audience knows who they are. I was about 10 or 11 years old, and so it was early 90s. And uh, like 91, I want to say, somewhere around there. My dad would always buy me comics, uh, random issues of things. He never got me into collecting anything monthly. I, I read his Crisis. I read a lot of DC stuff. But it was all just whatever he bought for himself. Mm. And I remember one day him coming to me and saying, hey, it looks like the Mighty Crusaders are coming back. And I think my response was, who? <laughs> so he, he had to explain it to me. And I was like, Okay, I mean, I guess if they're going to start a whole new comic book company, I'll I'll jump in because I I you know, I'm 10, 11, 12 years old. I don't know the last at that time 30, 40 years of history right. for the two big companies. And I thought, well, this is a way for me to follow a whole comic universe from the ground floor up. Mm -hmm. And I remember he bought me the first issues of a couple of the Impact comics, the Impact launch in the 90s. And I think it was The Shield, The Legend of the Shield and The Fly, 
and I think the Jaguar were the three. And I, I don't know what it was about them. I fell in love with them, and I started collecting them monthly. And I just, I loved them. Over the years, I've done research on them and found out their rich history, and I've since gone back. And I think I have almost everything now from 1962 to current. Wow. these characters. Okay. I think, other than maybe a couple of things here or there. That's kind of where I discovered them was through the Impact line in the 90s. Now, Smurfy, I know that you said you'd never heard of them, right? At all. Thought they were made up. I did. So this is your (laughs) first exposure. Yes. Well, we enjoy exposing you to things. I know. (laughs) I will be traumatized for life. Hopefully not. Now, for me... I would say, Mr. X, when... Well, it was you. You, uh, You're to blame. You exposed... I do. I do these tend to characters. do that. Yes. <laughs> I do tend to expose. These characters were exposed to me the uh, when uh, Dr. Impact and I were actually living together in our early 20s. And he had this wacky idea about wanting to pitch a relaunch of the Mighty Crusaders to Archie Comics because at the time there was nothing for those characters at all. And I'm like, uh, who? Yeah. By this point in time, you know, I'm I'm neck deep in Marvel history, specifically X-Men. I know almost all there is to know at that time about the Ninja Turtles, and I'm wiggling my toes into DC history. I was I was pretty current, but I didn't really know the rich history of yeah, DC. I, was say, I think it was at that time you read Crisis. Too, I read Crisis for the first time, crisis, too. Yeah. And he, he says, well, you know what? The easiest way to do this is if you read the Impact stuff. It's the most current so it was the early 90s and i'm like all right well you you had me at 90s comics because 90s comics had a style to them everything was big everything was over the top and these books were exactly that they reminded me very much of the style of what jim lee and rob liefeld were doing for marvel at that same point in time when those books were coming out i did my research by reading the impact stuff and then, you know, of course, just grilling him about, well, so so what's the deal with these characters before all this? Because this seems like a brand new universe. And because I was going to help Dr. Impact in our civilian guises, we were going to be responsible for sending in a pitch to get these characters picked back up from Archie. So we had to know what we were talking about. And at that time, you knew a little bit, not as much as you know now. Right. But from what you told me and what you shared with me, I started understanding that these characters represented a time in history that we really don't go back to that often anymore in comic books. I'm looking forward to these five episodes so that I can learn even more about the Mighty Crusader characters. I love these characters so much that I am very excited to to share them with you guys, and and hopefully it sparks something either in either of you or any of our other guests or or anyone out there listening that doesn't know who they are to to hunt them down. Any of the incarnations of them over the years. Incidentally, I, I don't know, Mister X, if I ever told you that that was actually the second proposal I sent off. Really, to Archie the Comics. second. To, to I wasn't these. your yes. first. You weren't my first. Sorry, my uh, <sighs> my brother and I had done one a few years prior. We were 
very politely declined by Archie. <laughs> they, they were very nice. They sent a, a rejection letter and everything, but they wow, were very okay. nice. Yeah, very. Which you know you don't get from a lot of other publishers, right? And then yeah, and then the one that you and I did was like almost fifteen years ago, I think now twenty years ago, something like that. Almost. Incidentally, I'm I am now currently working on another relaunch proposal to send to Archie that I've sort of wrapped Mr. X into doing, yeah. but, but we'll get to that in episode five when we start talking about the future. A brief history of MLJ. So guys, in order to really kind of get into this, you know, there is a little bit of historical reference, and, and we don't want to go into a whole lot of it because, again, that is a whole other podcast for another day. I, I think it is important to note that this was the mid to late 30s, you know, we were coming in at the end now of the Depression, mm -hmm. coming out or starting to come out of the Depression in, in a bit. Comic books were a very standard form of entertainment for everyone at that time. In March of 1937, of course, as everyone knows, we got issue one of the Detective Comics, Yep, which, of course, changes everything. And then... A little over a year later, in June of 1938, we get Action Comics number one. And so then changes things again. Changes things again, and probably the, the single biggest change in comic history, mm. I would say. But with the debut of Superman, and then the following year with Batman in Detective 27, comic book publishers, magazine publishers in particular, started going crazy trying to publish any kind of adventure hero stuff that they could get their hands on any right. kind of property that artists would come along and and offer one such company was a company called independent news now independent news was primarily a magazine company okay and primarily a distribution company at that but it was the distribution company that distributed what is now known as dc comics mm. oh, okay and that was run by a man named paul sampliner I, I think that's how you pronounce his name. I'm not sure. He ran Independent News, and there were a couple of guys that worked for him by the names of Maurice Coyne, Louis Silbercleet, again, not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly or not, and John Goldwater. Hmm, okay. And some of the, you know, these guys, of course, like any industry, any, you know, little area, they all kind of knew each other. They all kind of interacted with one another. And I want to say that... Lewis and maybe John worked for Martin Goodman over at Timely Comics. Martin Goodman was one of the founders of Timely Comics, which would later change their name to Marvel. Anyway, these three guys, Maurice, Lewis, and John, they all met there, and they decided they were going to start doing their own publishing. And if you listen to that, Maurice, Lewis, <laughs> and John. Okay. MLJ. There it is. They formed MLJ Publishing. And the very first book that they released in November of 1939 was a book called Blue Ribbon Comics, number one. That is the first MLJ comic. Okay. Which then means that that is technically the first Archie comic. Because, because MLJ would then would become, eventually Archie become Archie comics. Right, right. A Blue Ribbon Comics, like a lot of other comics at the time, didn't feature any superheroes. In fact, I think the cover feature story was a character called Rangatang the Wonder Dog, which is... Basically, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> yeah, it was basically a ripoff of Rin Tin Tin. They probably wanted Rin Tin Tin and couldn't get the rights or the license for Rin Tin Tin. And of course, you know, comics back then were 60, sometimes 80 pages. And you got 
how many different stories, and each story was five to ten pages long. Right. These were big comics, and usually filled with detective stories or crime stories or westerns or whatever, what have you. Because back then, big comic books like that were like anthologies. They were. They were, they were all almost almost all anthology. I think even action comics mm-hmm. was anthologies. You know, it's just Superman always ended up being the focal story. MLJ gets into the superhero game the following month with Blue Ribbon Comics number two. And then I don't want to... Saying superhero game is probably inaccurate. They get into the masked crime fighter game. Okay. Their, their okay, yeah. first masked crime fighter in Blue Ribbon number two is a character by the name of Bob Phantom. I absolutely love the name. <laughs> Bob Phantom. What does he do? I don't care. His name is Bob Phantom. Well, I can tell you what he does. I've always known about Bob Phantom. I've always, you know, I've always known his deal. I've never actually read the first appearance of Bob Phantom until this last week getting ready for this very podcast. Oh, okay. I finally was able to to find a copy, and we'll go into that later on in this episode of how to how to read this stuff, but I was finally able to read it. He's actually really, really cool. Yeah, okay. He teleports, which is very interesting for 1939. And uh, organically or has a from, device? No, well, I don't know. It doesn't go into that much detail. Oh. At least not in this story. It might later, but not in this story. And it, and it also appears from the, the comic that he somehow causes this fog or gas to pop up around him, and then he vanishes within that. Now, whether or not he's causing that with a device or has any kind of abilities or what, I, I don't know. I, I've never been able to read far enough to find out. But, yeah, he's the first. Mm, um, okay. Uh, he was a man, a reporter, because everybody in the 40s. Of course. Yeah, they're all reporters. If you were going to be That's a crime job. fighter, you were either extremely rich or a reporter. reporter yeah. <laughs> or a cop who yeah, was right. wronged. Cop, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One, of, one of the three. So, yeah, he was a reporter by the name of Walter Whitney. He becomes Bob Phantom. Like I said, I've never read his origin. I don't know. There are a lot of times in those 40s comics, characters would just appear for two or three issues, and they never told you why right, they were yeah. wearing a costume. It was just, beware this guy in the mask. So I'm not exactly sure why Walter Whitney, the reporter, decided to dress up and fight crime. I do know that initially he was supposed to be called the Phantom. Oh. From what I understand... You know, there is another character known as the Phantom. Yes. The ghost who walks. The very famous Phantom. Well, from what I understand, they, they threatened to sue if MLJ went forward with the Phantom. It's kind of copyright to have the same it, name, two different characters. Yeah, at the same time. So, to differentiate, they you, just... You toss on Bob? Bob? Apparently there was an old Bob Phantom character years before in another book, so they stole that name hmm. and used that... And no one complained about that one, I guess. I wonder why. What about Bob? Yeah. What, what about, about Bob, Bob Phantom? Well, couldn't it have just been Bob the Phantom? It could have been Bob the Phantom. I, I don't know. Why didn't they just come up with a different, different name? A different name. That's well, what you I know what? Had they come up with a different name, we would not be spending this much time talking about Bob Phantom. <laughs> In all fairness, well, that's true. there wasn't any name generators out there like there are nowadays. You can <laughs> hop on Google and be like, oh, we got one. We're good to go. Yeah, yeah. Back then, they had to be creative on their own. I know. Yeah, oh, he, there's there's a picture. He's a yeah. Uh, I did bring some visual references for Mister X and Smurfy here, so you may hear us saying, "Oh, this looks like this." We'll try to describe those to you guys. As Bob we go. might make the website. 
Bob. Maybe, maybe a whole a whole spread just on Bob. Just on Bob <laughs> Phantom, huh? I love Bob mm-hmm. Phantom. Yeah, I, I can't Mr. get into why I love Bob Phantom during this episode, but maybe in a future episode I will. Yeah, Mr. X is, is a big fan of Bob Phantom. And we'll also include uh, links and images of all of this stuff on our website as well at mybigfatpolis.com. So be sure to, to check that out, too. So anyway, Bob Phantom is the first. He starts the MLJ line off. But it's later that month in December of 39 when MLJ debuts a book called Top Notch Comics, number one. Top Notch Comics was one of their biggest hits. It was one of their bigger titles. And the book premiered with their cover character, The Wizard, the man with the super brain. That's what he was known as. Now, I think in the first five or six issues of Top Notch, he basically was like Mandrake the Magician. He wore uh, top hat and tails and, yeah. you know, and I think a little domino mask. I think around issue nine, I want to say, somewhere around there of Top Notch, they decided to give him an actual costume, mm. which was a, a blue leotard jumpsuit and cape to tie him in more with the other superheroes. Yeah, he's basically a Mandrake, the magician, or a Zatara the magician type of character. He just has a super brain, apparently. So he does magic and is super smart. And is super smart and has a photographic memory. Hmm. That is Blaine Whitney is the wizard. Now, I I don't know if they ever intended him and Walter Whitney to have any kind of relation. Right. Or if it was just coincidence that Bob Phantom and the wizard had the same last name. I I don't know. According to the wizard story, Blaine Whitney, his, his... ancestors were heavily involved in many historical moments throughout America's history. Hmm. Okay. And they all had the same photographic superior brain almost that that he has. So that's your first superhero at MLJ is the wizard. So we have the masked crime fighter in Bob Phantom over in Blue Ribbon Comics. And then with Top Notch, we've got the actual first superhero in the wizard but you know what it it, for me bob phantom since it's not explained how he can teleport and where that smoke comes from i'm i'm gonna elevate him at least in my mind i will elevate golden age bob phantom from mass crime fighter to a pretty super yeah i think so i mean you know even if it's tech based that's still right iron man is tech based and he's still considered a superhero exactly so anyway, that's that's your start off, but it's January of 1940 when MLJ actually gets to make history. Mm. Most people don't know this. Pep Comics number one is released in January of 1940. Okay. And its feature character is The Shield. And The Shield is your basic, run-of-the-mill, patriotic, red, white, and blue superhero. Okay. The difference is, is that... He predates Captain America by, I want to say, about a year and a half. Oh, wow. Okay. Not just that, but he is the very first patriotic superhero of all time in comics, ever. And people don't know this. And people don't know this. All other red, white, and blue characters are essentially copies of the S.H.I.E.L.D. His story is actually very similar to Captain America's in a sense. He and his father are working on on this chemical potion of sorts and his father is killed by terrorists from who knows where they they never actually used real country names in these early pep comics these are early shield books it was right. always 
the Sokians. I don't know who the hell the Sokians are or where they come from. Or the Musconians, you know. I guess trying to be politically correct. From the hills of Musco. 1939. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> They're working on this this formula, and his father is killed by one of these terrorist cells. And so he decides to devote the rest of his life to chemistry and figuring out this chemical base. Eventually, he does discover the formula for the S.H.I.E.L.D. serum, and and it is an acronym, very much like Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It is Sacrum, Heart, Innervation, Eyes, Lungs, Derma, S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> rolls, off, that, rolls off the tongue. Rolls yeah, right, yeah rolls exactly. Right it's, it's yeah. I feel like I understand exactly <laughs> what this serum does. Yeah, you, you can Derma. tell why years later they just kind of never mentioned that again. <laughs> that just a kinda, super soldier serum. That's all. <laughs> you yeah. know, that just kind of went away. It was a serum that would activate those parts of your body. It, it sounds to me like someone said, "Hey, Shield is a great name. How can we make an acronym out of that?" And that's evidently what they came up with. But yeah, he bathes himself in this fluorescent ray mm-hmm. while wearing this metallic suit, and that's how he ends up getting the powers. And the suit kind of augments him. So it's a little bit Captain America, but it's a little bit Iron Man, too, if you think about it, because it is the suit, really, that gets augmented. He just, I guess he has to increase his body to accept the suit. Hmm. Okay. He was the first, but he's not the only superhero in that book. The other character that appears in Pep Comics number one is one of my favorite characters, the Comet. Oh, okay. The Comet goes all the way back then. I know, Mr. X, you probably remember some of the Comet from the Impact stuff, but this was a, a very different Comet. Yes. Back during the MLJ. This guy was kind of a loose cannon and kind of wild. He would wear this kind of red and blue suit. And his the blue portion on, on his top, the shirt, was covered in stars and moons, and it, you know, looked like a mobile over a kid's crib or something. Very similar to some of the Captain Marvel. It is very Mar-Vell similar to the Marvel stuff. Yeah, it, stuff. it does, yeah. I'm sitting over here looking at all these, and it's astonishing. You can see the inspiration in modern-day characters from these, mm-hmm. almost like where they got bits and pieces from. His suit looks very similar to Booster Gold. With the pattern of, like, Captain Marvel. Yeah. And I don't know for certain, but I want to say that he's probably the first comic book superhero to wear a visor. A Cyclops of the X-Men style visor. I don't know that anyone ever did that before the comet. And it actually shot And it actually shot, yeah. Out. Yeah, his deal was that he was a, a, a chemist, a scientist, because, you know, they all... They all were. You're a if chemist you and could, a reporter. Not a, not a, if you could not be a, a reporter... Mm-hmm. Get into chemistry, kids. Yep. Yeah, right. And he discovers this gas from, I guess, a meteorite, I think it is, that he starts to experiment with, and his body absorbs this gas in an explosion, and and he ends up becoming powered off of this. Space gas. Space gas, right. But space this, farts. this gas, space farts, is that what you said? <laughs> space farts. <laughs> this gas accumulates in his eyes, which oh. causes him to emit array of concussion blasts of some sort from his mm, eyes, much okay. like like Cyclops does. For whatever reason, he instinctively knows that he'd better grab a piece of glass and hold it up to his face. That way the, the, the beams don't go all over the place. <laughs> so again, much like Cyclops, he has to wear 
this protective visor to prevent it, and he has a button on the side that he can move the, the visor up and down to, oh, wow. to release. So, I mean, it's it's the Cyclops visor, but in 1939. Well. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> These are two of probably the five biggest Mighty Crusaders, and we'll hit three of them in this episode and, and two more in, in future episodes, but... These are two of the most famous and most well-loved, and these are two that constantly get relaunched over and over again. Yeah. Is, is the S.H.I.E.L.D., Mr. Joe Higgins, and the Comet, who is Mr. John Dickering. After that, you know, of course, then Marvel Comics was running, and Action Comics and Detective Comics were both showcasing heroes, and I think by then Superman probably had his own book, and you know, superheroes started exploding yeah. at that time. MLJ followed suit. There are a lot of other characters that showed up. Obviously, we're not going to have time to cover all of them the way we've covered these characters. But we will put links on the website in the show notes to to various websites that you can check out and get all this info on. And, and we'll get into more of that later in the episode, too. But there were other characters like Steel Sterling, who uh, was kind of a, a, an impenetrable Superman-like strong man. Hmm, okay. And the Fox, who is a very popular one, who is basically just a a wronged reporter, I want to say. I think he was a wronged reporter or Not a photographer. A cop. No, he was a photographer. I'm sorry. He was a, it was a, a wronged photographer. He was a wronged photographer, and he, he becomes the Fox to try and get on the scene, you know. And he's basically clad all in black with a, a Fox emblem on his chest. He's a very neat-looking character, but... Um, his stories are very cheesy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> they're they're very very silly. So yeah, there's the fox, there's the firefly, there's you know, there's a lot of different characters that show up. Inferno is a very very cool character who is fire based and actually started out as a villain for Steel Sterling in an early Steel Sterling issue at Zip Comics, and then graduated to his own stories as a hero. Oh, so the Inferno kind of played both sides of the fence there. There are three other major characters from this era though that I feel really need to be addressed when you're talking about the history of MLJ and you're mm. talking about these 10 years specifically and the first of them debuts in Top Notch Comics number 9 by this point it's October of 1940 we're still a year away from the war keep that in mind right you know we're still as you know as a country we've not gotten into the war so this is still just adventure stories but in Top Notch number 9 they introduce arguably the second most famous MLJ character after the S.H.I.E.L.D., and that is the Black Hood. Ah, yes. And the Black Hood, uh, as you guys can see, and as we'll show you guys on the, on the website, you get the drill. All this will be on the website. It's a, a black face mask, but it doesn't cover his whole face. You know, the bottom portion of his face is exposed. Black gloves, black boots, of course, black trunks, because if you're a superhero at that time, you got to have your trunks on. Yeah. And then yellow tights, a yellow shirt and yellow yellow leggings. Not sure why he goes for the black and yellow. It's never explained. Not a very menacing color scheme. No. As a matter of fact, at the image that we're looking at right now, if you add black shoulder pads, it looks exactly like yellow jacket. Oh, it uh, does. Very much so. Yeah, I never I never put that together. From the, from the early Marvel yellow jacket. From the early stuff, Marvel yeah. stuff, yeah. Yeah, you're right, it does. Put some whiskers on them and you got another Marvel character. Well, I mean, yeah, make more the head mask yellow instead of black, and it could also go for uh, a watered-down version of Wolverine's yeah, costume. Yes. That's what I was thinking of my first Very thought. much, which is very ironic because in later 
iterations of the character, later relaunches after the, the MLJ stuff ended, he does become quite a bit more of the anti-hero ah. like that. But in, in this early stuff, he, he's still very pure and innocent and altruistic. And it was interesting. He's another one who I always knew the story of and have read a lot of Black Hood comics from, from various different relaunches. But until this last week or so, I had never actually read the origin. Mm. I knew it, but I'd never read it. It is one of the better books from MLJ from that era. It's still very much a 40s book. It's still oh, yeah. very much a golden age book. There are things that do not make sense. But overall, this is your classic cop who is framed and wronged. Mm-hmm. He is kicked out of the force, and then he's beaten to a pulp and left in the woods for dead. Oh, wow. Sounds like typical 40s. Okay. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's how you get rid of a problem. You just dump him in the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. While in the woods, a hermit finds him because that's you know that's what they do that's what they do in the 40s hermits live in the woods you know yeah this hermit finds him and takes him back to his shack in the woods creepy would one say it could be a funky little shack a funky little shack he doesn't try to go all the way with the black hood (laughs) (laughs) i love running gags (laughs) but he 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 kind of helps him he nurses him back to health It, it never says why it never says that he has any kind of connection. He just finds this guy, and out of the goodness of his heart, he's going to take care of him. That's what okay. hermits do. They wander yeah. around looking for people beaten up, nurse them and, and to help. Maybe, them maybe to this help. will yeah. be the hero I've always wanted. Oh, he is. Yay. I, ironically, and he was. And, side right, see it, side note, too, I, I've read a few other Golden Age Black Hood stories uh, in this last week. Not once, at least in any of the stuff that I've read, not once do they ever give the hermit a name. Of course not. He's just the hermit. And the Black Hood continues to refer to him as hermit. At one point, the hermit leaves and leaves him a note on the table in the shack and signs it hermit. So wow. um, his name is hermit, I guess. I yeah. Anyway, this, this police officer's name is uh, Matthew Kip Berland. And so this hermit nurses him back to health and revives him. And he explains that he was framed by a villain known as the Skull. Now, I, I'm not sure if this character predates Red Skull or not. Uh, I, I haven't been able to find anything conclusive on that, but he looks like the Red Skull, only with a green skull. Oh. And a little bit more robes as opposed to you know the military outfit that, that Red Skull wears. So, yes, this character is the character that has framed him. For some reason, and, it, and again, it never explains why, the skull has somehow wronged the hermit. <laughs> He's taken his name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so they, they vow together that Matthew Berland will train and get himself ready and go after the skull and bring the skull to justice and clear his name in the process. With his elderly sidekick, the, the hermit. hermit. Yeah. I mean, I'd read it. <laughs> as far as a 40s origin story, it is. It goes on for, I'd say, maybe 10 or 12 pages. It's very in-depth. There's a, a masquerade ball that the Skull ends up going to, and the Black Hood fights him there. And And the Skull is also one of the very, very few villains in all of the Mighty Crusaders incarnations over the years to be reused. Oh, okay. And he, he was a recurring villain for the Black Hood quite often. In fact, I I recently, these last few days, read a story where it was the final confrontation between the Black Hood 
and the skull. Oh. And uh, it was very, very, very cool story. You could tell that this is his Lex Luthor. This is his Joker. This is his Doctor Doom. It's a great story. I don't want to go into any detail on it because it is available. Everybody should go out and, and check it out for themselves. But we'll we'll show you how to, or tell you how to get that later on. It's it's really a good story, especially for the forties. Mm. One of the other major characters that needs to be talked about from that era is Mister Justice. Now, Mr. Justice premieres in Blue Ribbon number nine. Now, Mr. Justice is basically a ripoff of the Spectre. Now, the Spectre did, oh, okay. the, yeah, the Spectre did come first. So I don't know if they were consciously ripping off the Spectre or if they just happened to create something that's exactly the same. But Well, I mean, really, when you when you examine older comics, even modern comics, too, oh, they're always everybody is... Oh, borrowing oh, it's, yeah, from it's nothing else. new. So, you know, everybody yeah. complains about how Marvel and DC steal from each other nowadays. Man, they've been doing that for 80 years. Right, yeah. Get over it. Right. Mr. Justice I bring up only because he'll, he will become important as we get into future iterations okay. of the characters in, in future episodes of this miniseries. But he doesn't have a whole lot of importance at this point. At this point, he's really just a ghost. Okay. At, at this stage, he's he's Spectre watered down or dead man with the powers of the Spectre, depending on how you want to look at mm. it. He is a prince from the 11th century who, <laughs> okay. yeah, who is wrongfully murdered by his, his subjects and buried in his castle. His castle is then removed stone by stone in the late 30s, early 40s, and moved over to America. Wait a minute! I've I heard that. <laughs> is this is this the the the, the plot to gargoyles? That's right, that's it's, how I was it's it is very similar, isn't it? <laughs> and you know, of course, there are always rumors that there's a ghost of the the old prince that has haunted that castle. But right. He's stuck in the castle, and so even if you see him, it's no big deal. Well, as they're moving the castle across the ocean, the ship hits something, or it or it iceberg. Yes, I, yeah, I don't know what happens, but the ship sinks. Uh, it didn't really go into detail when I was reading the thing. It just said suddenly the ship sinks, and and <laughs> therefore right row, yeah, right row, <laughs> and the the castle then sinks to the bottom of the ocean, which frees him. Now I I don't know why that frees him and why taking the castle apart prior to that didn't personally free speaking. Him, I think I would have, but I would have rather read the yeah. aquatic adventures. Yeah, like he's stuck of underwater, this, of an this underwater ghost, water ghost. Yeah, water that would spectrum. be interesting. Yeah. yeah. But no, he, he's I'm a haunting fish. <laughs> he's a ghost, and he ends up going back to America because that's where the ship was headed. I, I, why didn't he just go back home? I don't know. But he goes back to America, and for whatever reason, he is able to solidify his body, almost vision style, almost like like how vision can change the density of his body. Right. Yeah. He basically can do the same thing and creates a body for himself to inhabit so that he can interact with people in the 20th century, in 1940s. Okay, well, I know that's not how ghosts work. I watched the Patrick Swayze movie. And that's, yeah. Well, and then he can leave this body <laughs> that he has created so as created an empty a body. Husk. So it's like it's like a golem. It's like an it empty is. It an is almost like a golem. That's that really, he, I didn't even think of that, yeah. He'll jump into so that he can move around and interact with people, but then jump out of it and nobody can see him when he's in ghost form. Correct. Just like oh, Dead okay. Man. Just like Deadman. Just like Deadman. Right. All right. But he has all these connections to this larger mystical, magical world the way Spectre does mm, that, that okay. is never really fully explained other than the fact that he's a ghost. 
again, his stuff is not that important at this time. He, he's around for a while. He's certainly one of the main characters at MLJ, but he becomes far more important in later iterations. So I bring him up now because he, he is kind of an important character down the I line. I look forward to finding out more about the ghostly Mr. Justice. Mr. Justice. Probably the final major character from that era is a character known as the Hangman. And the Hangman, One of my personal favorites. Yeah. The Hangman has probably the most interesting story across all the relaunches. Yeah. But for these 10 years, the Hangman starts out as a man named Robert Dickering, who is John Dickering's younger brother. And John Dickering was the comet. Dun, dun, dun! It's all connected. How about that? Robert comes to visit the Comet, who by this time, by the way, the Comet ends up becoming the first misunderstood superhero. So before Spider-Man. Before Spider-Man, yeah. There was the Comet. He is mind-controlled in, I I forget what issue of Pep, very early on in Pep Comics. He is mind-controlled and framed. He ends up becoming wanted. He becomes public enemy number one, essentially. Oh, wow, okay. For almost the entire majority of the rest of his time in the golden age of comics. He is wanted uh, wrongfully, and he's constantly trying to clear his name. The only person who knows that he's the Comet is his girlfriend, who I, I want to say her name was Thelma. Um, I can't remember what her last name was, but I, I'm pretty sure he, he called her Thel. So finally, in Pep Comics number 17, this is July of 1941, again, still not at the war yet, Right. the hangman uh, Robert Dickering ends up visiting his brother, John. He okay. comes home from, from college to visit his brother and catches his brother in the middle of changing out of his Comet costume. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, awkward. Awkward. So now all three, they all know, um, and they, they kind of hang out together. Bob Dickering starts to hang out with John's girlfriend. It gets a little bizarre. Yeah, there's there's some undertones when you read the story that's like, okay, was there was there maybe some swapping going on or something uh. here? I'm not sure. Yeah, Bob ends up getting kidnapped by criminals because it's all criminals. Other than the skull, you know, there's very few supervillains. Right. Yeah. It's just just criminals, just bad guys. Skull supervillains. Skull Joker and Lex Luthor. I think might that might be it for supervillains. Anyway, Bob gets kidnapped by criminals, and Comet, of course, rushes to his aid, Mm -hmm. but is shot. Oh. uh, I believe multiple times, if I remember correctly. Riddled with bullets by by these criminals. And dies. Holy. The comet okay. dies in Pep Comics number 17. He's the first superhero to die in a comic book ever. Now, see, that's history. His brother Bob, who is completely distraught by this, well, vows he, vengeance. He won't, he won't be distraught after he hooks up with Thelma a couple more which times. Which he does. Which he does. <laughs> Because John tells him to oh. on his deathbed. Go ahead, you can have my <laughs> yes, girlfriend now. He does. Wow. <laughs> he says, you guys need to be together. It will be an honor <laughs> to me or something like that. <laughs> I, teach, treat her as tenderly as I have. She um, really likes it when you nibble her Yeah, ear. right, he's giving her pointers. Tickled behind the ear. <laughs> Write that down. So, uh, yeah, so he ends up, he decides that he's going to enact his own justice. He becomes the hangman. There's no special abilities to him. There's no powers. He just, he stalks criminals at night. And, and he, chokes them. He projects, much like Spider-Man does with his spider belt, he projects the image, the silhouette of a gallows mm. on a wall. And when you okay. see that, 
you know the hangman's coming for you. Just like if you saw, you know, the shadow of a bat, you knew the Batman was coming for you. Yeah, right. I love these similarities. And the Black Hood and the Shield and the Wizard, not as much. But these other characters, all these other guys, they're brutal. They yeah. do not hold back. The Comet, I mean, he drops a guy from 70, 80 feet in the air who, uh, in his very first issue, he captures a to criminal. To his death? Yeah, to his death. He says, let, let me go, let me go. Okay. I don't, you know, and so he does. Yeah. Wow. Well, let us not forget, Bat when Batman shows up, Batman was pretty brutal, too. So you was know, Superman. He, right. They were all brutal. It wasn't It wasn't like they were not using kid gloves. So it's it's good to know that the the MLJ characters followed the same yeah. code of violence. Especially the Comet and the Hangman. There's something about the Dickering brothers. Those two got an anger streak in them. They got a screw loose. Um, they, they like pain. Yeah, the the other one that is that is equally as brutal, and and he becomes kind of a bigger character later, is the Web. Uh, he de he debuts much later in 1942 in Zip Comics number 27, and I think he's a he's a professor who decides to to fight crime and and right wrongs and and catch underbelly criminals in his web of deceit. Ah, oh, well, yeah, there you I, go. Yeah. I just read his first appearance and this last week as well, and. He threw an axe into somebody's head, wow! <laughs> and threw a barrel at someone and crushed them. And, and it's like, what? Wow! These guys did not pull any punches back then. And it was right in the middle of his head. I mean, it's an it, axe. It, it kind of reminds crazy. me they were learning learning curves, guys. Uh -huh. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah. Zack Snyder was right. I guess they yeah. were new and they didn't know. Well, think about it. Uh, a a modern, I guess you could call it a superheroish kind of tale, but one of James Gunn's films, Super. Mm, about an oh, ordinary yeah. man mm -hmm. who's, ha who's who's been pushed too far and decides to go out and fight crime. He has no powers whatsoever. He's a wrench. He's just a he ha he has a wrench, but he he is a masked hero, not mm -hmm. a superhero, and he was violent. Yeah, extremely violent. And I wonder, I wonder, if James Gunn in writing that script did that specifically because the Golden Age heroes were more violent it's than possible. their Silver Age and Modern Age counterparts. It's possible. He he would be someone that would would get into that stuff, I Oh, yeah, because he loves I, comic I think, books, yeah, just like And us, I would yeah. think he would love that era mm. and, and the kitschiness now yeah, that the yeah. Golden Age has. Something to something to ponder, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. And those are, those are kind of your big... Again, like I said, there are many other heroes that they introduced during that time, but those were really kind of the big ones. And these comics, these characters ran for... Almost 10 years. I mean, they, they ran up until uh, sometime in the late 40s. They even spun off into their own comics. Shield and Wizard, much like World's Finest, got their own comic, the Shield Wizard comics. So they were together, like, like it teamed was, up? It was two different stories. So oh, it was okay. a Shield story and a Wizard story. But it was very similar to those early World's Finest, where you got a Superman story. Superman and a story and a Batman yeah. story, right. And then there was uh, Jackpot Comics, which uh, I think featured. Four or five of the superheroes, I think. I mean, the superheroes took over MLJ Comics. Right. Gone was Rangatang. <laughs> Gone was uh, Calthar, the uh, Tarzan-like guy who could grow really big. You know, gone were the the detectives and the cowboys, and and the superheroes really took over. So much so, in fact, that in July of 1943, the Black Hood made the transition from comics to media. Oh, okay. And got his own radio drama in the 40s. Now, it only lasted 
for I want to say about six to eight months, something like that. Oh, okay. And it no longer exists. I think there is one episode that still exists. It is on YouTube. We'll have it like again, like everything else, on the website and and uh, in the show notes. But uh, it's it's a little hard to hear. You can tell that the recording is not cleaned and it hasn't been cared for over the years. Yeah. It's one random episode of the Black Hood, uh, but it does still exist. You can listen to it on YouTube. To this day. He is still the only character from the entire Mighty Crusaders pantheon to make the transition from comics to media of any format. Wow. You would think for as influential as these characters are for comic book history, you would think that something would have happened. I'm sure that that the studios developed a S.H.I.E.L.D. movie serial. I would gotta I would gotta think that after the success of the Captain America movie serial that they would do one on the shield that they would plot one anyway mm. um i guess it just never never came to fruition none of that really even matters though because in pep comics number 22 in december of 1941 that month of infamy mlj introduced a teenage brat by the name of archie andrews as a backup story in pep comics oh and it took off it starts it starts all the people that were reading these superheroes, they're all now fighting overseas. Yeah. Archie has now been introduced. Who's left behind? Teenagers and kids. The teenager boom is about to hit in 10 years, in the early 50s. Yeah. So this is the prelude to that. And, and Archie and Betty and Veronica and Jughead and all those guys, they slowly start to take over. One by one, MLJ Comics starts to retire all of the superheroes <sighs> until you get to 1946 Nin by 1946 about the only two that are left are the black hood and the shield and the black hood by then had been given his own book black hood comics yeah but then in june of 46 black hood comics ends so the shield is it now the shield lasted now as a backup story to archie now, Archie oh. was taking the, the forefront. How the tide has turned. Yes. S.H.I.E.L.D. lasts for another few years until Pep Comics number 65 in 1948 when MLJ retires the S.H.I.E.L.D. It's around there that they, they changed the name to Archie Comics. It's, it's not long after, I believe. And that's it. That's, that is the end of the MLJ run. Wow. Like so many other things. DC Comics did the same thing. The Flash had been retired. The Justice Society had been retired. Yeah, Captain yeah. America vanished from comic shelves. I mean, uh, if you weren't Superman, Batman, or Wonder Woman, chances are you weren't published anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was the same way here. You know, they all they all went away. It's just these characters just couldn't sustain the way Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman could. No. They just never could. And that's where we ask you guys, what was your introduction to the heroes that made up the MLJ roster. Was it these early 1940s Golden Age heroes? Or was it later? Reach out to us at our website at mybigfatpolis.com and share your history with these iconic characters. The MLJ Influence. So we've touched upon this a little bit already. Uh, the influence that these characters had. And obviously yeah. some of it is pretty obvious to you guys, I think. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, the shield being the most obvious, of course. But but the comet as well, being the first hero to die in comics. 
Well, that's a big that's a big thing because you, you don't want to kill off. Back then, you wouldn't even think about killing off a and character. Stayed dead. Yeah, and and stay dead. Yeah. Well, he does now. You know, everybody check out our next episode, the first revival of the characters, where we'll we'll get into how he is brought back. But that's Aww. that's another thing altogether. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a it's at that time. That's a pretty. That's a pretty ballsy move well, right, yeah. for you know that era. But there are, there are other things too that are influential. I, I, everybody knows that Captain America had a triangular shield, right? Yeah, at the beginning. Yeah, at the beginning. In the beginning, he yeah. always had that. Before he switched over to the round shield. Yeah, the mm-hmm. circular one. Right. He switched the round shield because of MLJ Comics. Oh, the triangular shield. We will we will find the exact image here, guys, to show you on the website. So that you can see what I'm I'm showing to Mr. X and Smurfy here. But the shield's original costume basically is the triangular shield. It's yep. exactly like Captain America's original shield. It is exactly like his shield. And when Captain America came out, MLJ said, no, that's too close to our character. That's a ripoff. <laughs> what I did not know is they changed it in the very next issue. I did yeah. not know that the round shield came in Captain America Comics number two. Mm-hmm. That was new news to me. But they switched it because MLJ threatened to sue over, wow. over okay. the shield. So that's that's pretty influential, too. Imagine a world, a reality, in which MLJ never su- threatened to sue, mm-hmm. and Captain America still has a triangular shield. We probably never would have gotten the round shield until years later when a writer says, let's do something different. Let's, let's, let's right. round it. Yeah. The round shield, you can use like a frisbee. Yeah, it's iconic. A boomerang. A sled. Yeah. A sled. The triangular one, you really can't... It's not going to come back to you. No. The physics. <laughs> comic book you physics. You bounce off the wall and catch it again. Exactly. There's too, many round, there's too many pointy yeah. edges. Yeah. You stick it in somebody. You, well, well, I guess you unless you, you have could. like a magnetized, you know, device of some sort, I guess, on your... Mainly stabbins. Yeah, that's what it's good for. Stabbings. Stabbings. Blocking and stabbings. Yep. You could use it to shovel. Or that. Yeah. Dig. Yeah, they have a couple of other influential things, too. They had a character called the Firefly, who uh, who debuted in Top Notch number eight. And Firefly, his origin is probably the easiest origin of any superhero ever. Bitten by a radioactive Firefly? Oh, no. That would be awesome. But he... he uh, <laughs> no. He grew up from a kid always wanting to be a crime fighter, so he trained himself. And then when he perfected the right kind of potion that he needed to take, it made him glow in the dark. And he thought, well, I'm as strong as, as many insects, and I can project the this light in the dark, and what will I call myself? And he happened to be standing in a field of fireflies, and he calls himself the firefly. It's like the easiest origin. Thank could... God he wasn't born like the 80s. <laughs> I am light bright. <laughs> yeah, light bright. He's just looking at things look at that are color. around the room. Mike, it's Mike. like, oh, look at this microphone. I will be Mike Man. I am Lamp. I oh, am man. Lamp. I am Lamp. Yeah. But the the influential thing of him is, while he's not the first, I think he's one of the first five insect-themed superheroes of all time. Now, there were, I think Timely Comics had a Black Widow back then, long before Natasha Romanoff. And, yeah. And I want to th- say that there was a... Someone called like the Red Bee or something like that at that time. I, I, I'm not <laughs> also sure, but scary. the impact, if you will, of Firefly is that he he is one of the first insect themed superheroes. Not the first, but he is early. 
Uh, I don't even know if that counts, though, because just because he can glow in the dark and he has the proportionate strength of a firefly. Uh, yeah. We're going to go with that? Is that <laughs> Evidently. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Evidently. You wonder why that one never took off, huh? Why, why not glowworm? Right. Glow. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I, I, I'm just oh, saying. There's your 80s team up right there, mm-hmm. Smurfy. Glowworm and light bright. Right. Light bright. Write that shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should put that out. That's our that's our next book. We shine down justice on crime. <laughs> that's right. You know, I mentioned too the that Inferno started out as a villain. I cannot find any information to back this up. So just to make it very clear now, this is my own assumption, uh, based on what I've been able to find, but I believe that Inferno might be the first villain to become a hero. In comics, hmm, okay. so again, there might be another one out there that I don't know of that I haven't read, and and if any of our listeners out there do know of them, please let us know. Yeah, share, share, um, share that information. As far as I'm aware, Inferno is the first, and he's very cool. He comes back a lot in a lot of iterations over the years. Sometimes as a villain, even. In so so far, ways. so far, MLJ Comics has gotten the first patriotic superhero. Right. Mm-hmm. We've got the first superhero that was misunderstood framed and and you know always trying to uh, clear clear their name yep first superhero to die yep and quite possibly the first villain to turn hero yeah and the first guy to shoot stuff out of their eyes too. oh yeah oh, well, don't about him shoot out of that yep 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 and there's another one there's a big one that is let's say debatable okay all right this is probably the the most shocking piece of news that i came across recently in putting all this information together in top notch comics number five now top notch was the wizard's book okay in that book it's uh i believe the story is something like the the muscanian murders or, or or something like that the title of the story is it's part one in that book he goes to the fbi for help and they put him in touch with their number one g-man the shield. Oh. The shield and the wizard meet for the very first time in Top Notch Comics number five. Now, Top Notch Comics number five has a cover date of May 1940. Okay. Most comic book scholars will tell you, and up until recently, I would have agreed with all of them, that Marvel Mystery Comics number eight is the first crossover. And first, essentially, shared universe in comics, when the Human Torch met Submariner. Okay, yeah, right. Now, that has a cover date of June 1940, a month later than this. However, there are people that claim that Marvel Comics number 8 came out in April, even though its cover date is June. And there are others who claim that because of some sort of publishing issue... It didn't come out until three or four months later. Now, I have not been able to find a definitive answer on it. Mm-hmm. But depending on which answer is correct could mean that the MLJ characters are the very first shared universe in comics. Possibly. If not the very first, tied with Marvel. Wow. And no one no yes. one knows. I didn't know that, and I'm obsessed with these characters. <laughs> Well, sadly, almost everybody's probably dead. From the era? Yeah, the pro- era, probably I mean, anybody that could actually answer it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. 
unfortunately. But it's cool that, that even if they aren't the first, they're tied as the first. Which is still with Marvel Comics. Which is still a huge, you know, a huge momentous moment. Yeah. I mean, that Top Notch Comics number five absolutely comes out a few months prior to World's Fair Comics. What is that, number two or whatever, where Superman and Batman appear on the cover together? Mm-hmm, yeah. So it definitely beats Superman and Batman. Right. And depending on which story is accurate, possibly beats Namor and the Human Torch. Hmm. And they, of course, go on to be, you know, like Superman and Batman, very good friends, and, and so much so that they get their own book, Shield Wizard Comics. But um, Shield Wizard. Yeah. Shield Wizard. That could be a whole that character. Right there, uh, no, that, that's a whole character right there. Hello, I am Shield Wizard. Sounds like a wax you put on your car. Get the shield wizard. Protect <laughs> against all grime and goo. Use it with this sham wow. Right. There's one final, I wouldn't necessarily say it's influential, but the very first sidekick, superhero sidekick in comics, we all know is Robin. The boy wonder. The boy wonder. But the shield got himself a sidekick too. Everybody back then had a sidekick. I think Green Arrow debuted with Speedy. I mean, you know, everybody had a sidekick, but the shield had a sidekick too. Hmm. Dusty, the boy detective. Yeah. <laughs> who? Uh, oh, God bless the 40s. Who, who, was, who was a detective who was orphaned, and S.H.I.E.L.D. took him in as his ward. So they weren't... Uh, was he an orphan in the Dust Bowl? Yeah. Right. But Dusty, the boy detective, came out four months before Bucky did. Oh. So he doesn't beat Robin, but he does, but he does beat, beat Bucky. Bucky. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Way and, to go, Dusty, Dusty, Bucky. Yeah, right. Wow. Where is Dusty now? <laughs> you know, I, I think in, in future iterations, and, and I'll go ahead and say this now because we probably won't get into it in other episodes. I think in future iterations they they say that he uh, grew up or, or was was somehow controlled by someone and and dishonorably discharged from being a superhero or something to that effect. I'm not sure. Anyway, he ended up. Becoming, becoming a hermit? A, no, he became. Yeah, oh. right. He ended up becoming a, the director of some sort of like sh- Agents of Shield type of organization. Mm. I, I want to say, and then um, and then I think just retired and faded away. I think I don't think they did anything. Lived with a good life, that. picket fence and all. Yeah, but he did for a long time team up with the Wizards sidekick, Roy the Superboy. Oh my God, Roy and Dusty. Roy the Superboy. Roy the Superboy. And Dusty, the boy detective, and when they would get together, they were the boy buddies. Was there catchphrase jinkies? <laughs> oh, sorry, wrong cartoon. <laughs> so, uh, Golly gee, guys. Okay, so if Roy was a super boy, how super was he? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you laugh, but I really want to know. I mean, was he super? He was just a very good The boy. way that the wizard was super? He had a, a, a mighty brain and he knew prestidigitation? <laughs> well, there are... Many are resources that you can use to, to find out about Roy the Superboy and Dusty the Boy Detective and the Boy Buddies and everything, uh, but we'll get into that here in just a second. Now it is time for our retrospective review of the MLJ years. So at this point, uh, because I've, I've reread so many of these books in preparation for this miniseries event that we're doing. I do want to take a little bit of time just to, to give you guys a review of how the books read. Okay. Especially now so being so far removed. So, But before I get to that, to kind of get into what you were saying about how do we find out about who the Roy Superboy is and what his deal is and, and how you even read this stuff, 
There are a couple of different outlets to get them. They're very, very, very difficult to find at okay. comic conventions. Obviously, anything from the Golden Age is going to be tough well, to find. yeah. And anything from the Golden Age is going to be pricey unless the cover is gone. And even then, sometimes it can be pricey. So buying them, unless you're independently wealthy, is probably out of the question. Outside of that, there is a wonderful, wonderful resource online run by a man named Rick Offenberger called the Mighty Crusaders Network, and it is MightyCrusaders.net. We will put a link on the website and in the show notes for you all. That is the one-stop spot for anything Mighty Crusaders from any era, from any version. It has who's who's, it has bios, and now they have started putting up complete full scans of the Golden Age books. Oh, wow, okay. Not everything. There's a lot of stuff that obviously is not there. Right. But there are a ton of classic Golden Age MLJ books that I've always known about and never been able to read until recently. So anybody that wants to read that stuff, go to MightyCrusaders.net and go to the Galleries button. They're all under the Galleries, and you can check them all out there. The other way to read uh, any of this Golden Age stuff, there was a trade paperback from... About 10 years ago, around 2005-ish, well, I guess that's probably more 15 years ago now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That reprints the first four issues of Pep Comics, and I want to say it's the first two or three issues of S.H.I.E.L.D. Wizard Comics, but it only reprints the S.H.I.E.L.D. stories. Oh, okay. Um, it is called America's First Patriotic Comic Book Hero, The S.H.I.E.L.D., and it is published by Archie Comics. Unfortunately, you do not get the wizard stories from the shield wizard comics in this but you do get issues four. Oh, and and actually now that i think about it i think issue five of pep comics which eerily is a story about the shield trying to stop some other made-up fake terrorist group from attacking and destroying pearl harbor to start a war hmm. and that came out five six months before pearl harbor actually occurred oh wow so that's a little creepy and eerie, mm-hmm. and you can read that story in that graphic novel. Um, it's it's very, very good. Uh, it, you know, the S.H.I.E.L.D. stories in particular read pretty easily mm. uh, for a book from the 40s. The other two outlets that you have, there's another book also by Rick Offenberger. Rick Offenberger, by the way, is kind of the leading authority on these characters. It, you know, he his wealth of knowledge for these characters is what I aspire to have. Mm-hmm. But he put out a book a number of years ago called The MLJ Companion, and that breaks down the complete history from the beginnings in 1939 all the way up to the current stuff. And he starts the book off with reprints of about four or five classic things. I think the first appearance of the web is in there, and the first appearance of Steel Sterling, and, and so on and so forth. So that's a book that can be gotten you know anywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever. You can check those stories out. The final place that you can read things is a group on Facebook called the Shield G-Man Club. You can go to the Shield G-Man Club, join the group. They have an insane amount of scans on there. Yeah. Scans that are not on the Mighty Crusaders Network. Much of the Pep Comics stuff is on there. And they are scans in their entirety. Okay. You get all the other nice. small stories. So uh, you just kind of have to sift through it, and every so often they'll put out a few few more issues or 
half of an issue or you know whatever and just keep updating it but so those are kind of your your outlets as far as reading them um, which is great because I don't own originals at least I don't own any of them pre-1960 that was a great way for me as a hardcore longtime fan to actually be able to read them most of them are pretty creaky yeah most of them are your your typical 40s golden age stuff the shield stuff is good the black hood stuff is really quite good let's see the the comet stuff is crazy and fun it can be a little 40s tedious at times but overall, it's fairly consistent. It, it doesn't ever get to a point where, with some runs in the last 30, 40 years of other books that we've all talked about, where it loses steam after 20 issues or something. Yeah. They never really quite do that. Maybe a little bit here and there. But for the most part, if you're, if you're okay with reading Golden Age comics, which are a totally different approach to comic book storytelling, they're pretty good. Especially, like I said, The Shield and the Black Hood. And Bob Phantom, actually, the, the few stories of the Bob Phantom that I read are really good. They just don't really ever explain it. <laughs> but, He's a mystery. But the book itself, the stories are really, actually, pretty good. So yeah, overall, you know, I don't know if I if I would want to give it an actual rating, but overall, I would say that they're worth checking out. They're worth looking into, and anyone that's interested, the first Shield story and the first Black Hood story are absolutely worth reading. There's the first 10 years of MLJ. Now, as we said in the beginning, Mr. X, you know, you, you had a passing interest mm-hmm. and a passing knowledge of these characters. And it's growing every and day. it's growing. Smurfy, this is your first experience. So, you know, after this, what what's your initial thoughts? I'm curious. I, I actually want to know more. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hooked. Well. Dear Lord. For Smurfy, we have brought him the Mighty Crusaders starter kit, as I like to call it. As I said before, we will have different guest hosts throughout this miniseries, but our fifth and final episode of the miniseries, Mr. X and Smurfy and I will reunite to bring this to a close. And at that point in time, Smurfy, you can read through this starter kit. What I'm giving you here is the first, I don't know, either the first four or five issues of all of the major runs or the best, what I consider the best stuff of the major runs, uh, including the Mighty Comics era, which will be our next episode, the Red Circle and Archie Adventure run, the Impact comics, the DC Red Circle comics, when DC licensed them, gosh, what was that, right after Final Crisis, I think, maybe? I remember seeing those. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and, and tried to integrate them into DC continuity, the New Crusaders comics, when Archie got them back, and the most current stuff... Dark Circle. So, uh, yeah. Got when a little we, bit of everything. When yeah, we get back together, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll see what you think and see uh, how you feel about each version, which ones you care to learn more about, or if you don't care to learn about any of them. So that'll be on our fifth episode. Well, that's it, guys. That's the first part of The Mighty Crusaders. I want to thank everybody for listening to episode one of five, and join us for part two where we will cover the very first revival of the MLJ characters with the Archie Adventure series and Mighty Comics in the 60s and explore how their continued influence shaped modern comics as we know them. I'm Dr. Impact. I'm Smurfy. And I'm the mysterious Mr. X. So until our next crusade, 
Stay mighty, friends. We have reached the end of this verbal adventure, but there will be more. Be sure to bag and board the knowledge you have been given in the long boxes of your mind, safe from the dust bunnies of memory. Visit mybigfatpolis.com for all of their four-color content and follow their social media pages to stay informed. And remember, the secrets of the universe are between the panel. Thank you for letting us come inside you and fill you with knowledge. Right, yeah, we're not going to oh, use yeah. that. We're not going to do that one. Uh, we're the boy Because that doesn't go, because we're going all the way with the MLJ. That's how going to end the I, I had one earlier. Um. <laughs> Told you it was great, but not great. It's too sexual. <laughs> <laughs> is it really? It's too, what do you think? It's too hot. Just, just, just way too <laughs> sexual. It's too hot. Sure. Smurfy just making noise over here, yep. not knowing what's going on, as usual. Remember, once we actually start the episode, you have to stop putting your hand oh, no. in the plastic bag. That I don't know what you're talking about. What? Okay, guys. I, 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 I eventually was just going to put my whole hand in and be like, just do, just do a little. Oh, excuse me. You can't have any dice I can put in here. Put some dice in this bag. Like, yeah, Yahtzee. What was the thing? Oh, I had those peach rings, and I was slowly going for one. He was just giving me death stares, and he's like, just get the damn ring. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Open your damn drink. I was just going to say, there's no noise. Take a drink. Close the bottle. Swallow. Good. I said, I, was, I realized my throat was getting dry between Twizzlers. That's why I had the one. Now I'm good now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's terrific. All right. Take your hand out of that damn bag. I can't even hear it. I heard it. I'm good now. Thank you.